You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, it's John Spiracevet and Elliot Goldberg. Hey, Elliot. Hi, John. Can you say it is? Can you say it's when it's two people? Like, it's, I guess, it's just you and yeah. me. I guess you would say that. Okay. We are Elliot and John. <laughs> we were both high school teachers, so we should know things like grammar. Yes. <laughs> yes. Although the New York Times did say today that, you know, everyone's reading, writing, and math deteriorated in the pandemic. So, well, they we're were, I, think, I do believe they were talking about nine year olds. <laughs> yes, I know. But I feel like yeah, I still have an excuse. If my skills went down during the pandemic, I'm just like a, a really good nine year old. That's good. I was thinking about this, that uh, maybe I said this, I don't know if it was to you or someone else, I haven't memorized the whole podcast, even though I'm familiar with the good place, that uh, there's this Saturday Night Live bit where it's about a father and a son who can't talk, except they're able to talk by recording a podcast together. And I feel like you and I have talked now like extensively <laughs> the last couple of months because of the podcast. And otherwise, we hadn't talked, you know, that much all year. And That's it's true. great. Not because we couldn't. I don't have trouble talking to you right. really yet. There were no, we weren't in a fight either. There was no, there were no issues. It just, it didn't, it didn't happen. <laughs> I was saying right before we got on that it hasn't been really that many weeks. You were late in season two and it's not that far into season three. So I usually ask, you know, whoever is the co-host to, to if they want to revise their answer about who you are most like of the characters. Do you want to say anything about that? Oh, well, I, I spent this summer, I was at Camp Ramah for the summer, and I found myself in many cheaty indecision moments. So, <laughs> so I think part of my answer the last time was that my kids will tell you I can't choose, and that makes me cheaty. And it was just, I just owned it this summer. <laughs> People would say, well, are you going to do this or that next? And I would say, well, that's the hardest question for me because I'm, I'm a cheaty. People were like, oh, the knowing people nodded. And that's how I discovered who watched, you know, the show and who didn't. Uh -huh. And then, you know, it, it's gotten at least one new co-host out of that. That's right. That's great. <laughs> and how about who you would like to be more, especially as, you know, we're in this period of time, we're recording with less than a month to Rosh Hashanah. Maybe you've been thinking about which good place character you'd like to be more like in, in the new year. Yeah. Ooh. In the new year, that's such for it. Now that feels like the stakes are high. Like for okay, fun. Okay, never mind. Still, this is supposed to be for fun. No, that's fine. For fun, <laughs> for fun. Like I want to still be Jason because it seems he has the most fun. But in in my rewatching, you know, further rewatching, you know, as I'm, you know, had to prepare for a new episode. There are ways in which, compared to last time, Eleanor has grown on me more. And mm -hmm. The degree to which she takes this whole endeavor seriously. The endeavor of, you know fixing the universe <laughs> or fixing the good place and the bad place and all the places. Yeah. There's a real motivation to make everything better for people, for all of them. And if I had to aspire for the new year for some lofty good place goal, it would be to you know, impact the world the way Excellent. she yeah. led the team to do. That's great. I, I was thinking about how second guessing my thought that you couldn't answer this question even like a couple of weeks in a row. And I remember this story that I heard about the Jewish Theological Seminary where you and I are both alums. And the story was told about Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, Zichronoli Vracha, great, great figure of the past who uh, neither of us had the 
privilege to study with. But I heard the story that he was someone's advisor for their senior sermon. And yeah. that so every graduating rabbinical student has to give this this sermon to the seminary synagogue. And the student, I don't know, on Monday or Tuesday gave him the sermon and looked it over, you know, final version and said, this is okay. And, and then the student delivered the sermon and, and went up and asked Rabbi Kaplan, you know, what did you think? And he said, you know, it was, it was okay. And said, what, what do you mean? Like, uh, Tuesday, you said it was great. And apparently Rabbi Kaplan said, uh, I've grown since then. That's tough. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess for uh, for him, it was a repeat. He had heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> Although I find that when I am listening to sermons of Bar Mitzvah and Bat Mitzvah and B Mitzvah kids, that I have heard them, I've read them, I've heard them practiced. And then, you know, I've read along as kids have rehearsed. And then when I when I hear them live, I just sit back and they're, they're always different. So... I love yeah. them even. I love them even better when they're in the I, moment. I found both, well, with with all of my kids, in the delivery, the kahal, the crowd, picked up on different nuances than I did. So things that I didn't think were a chuckle moment, people in show laughed at. So you know, it, some of it was about like watching other people respond to the words that I had a chance to process. <laughs> Well, let's jump into this episode, Elliot. You okay. want to give us a title, a, a tribute, and, and a summary. Okay. So we're talking today about Chapter 34, Worst Possible Use of Free Will. I love that name. So the episode summary, Michael shows Eleanor her memories of falling in love with Chidi in the afterlife. Eleanor believes their relationship was not the product of her capacity to love. It was purely deterministic because Michael controlled their entire world in every situation they were in. But Michael explains that he repeatedly failed to predict her behavior no matter how many times he rebooted the experiment. Eleanor gets angry and argues that free will doesn't exist and Michael's behavior could have been determined by mega demons torturing him, (laughs) prompting Michael to pour iced tea on her. He argues that if everything is determined, their efforts to help people are pointless, but he wants to believe otherwise. Eleanor owns up to covering her vulnerability with blame. Eleanor suggests that knowing the truth about the afterlife makes the group the world's only true free beings, and they should therefore be bold and try to make more impact on the world. Michael directs them to rural Canada to find a blueprint for humanity, but Sean creates an illegal portal to Earth, and he and Vicky go through. Thanks. So, yeah, this episode, what tickled you, Elliot? Something tickled me that I don't think I would have noticed, but somehow I caught because it's in like the second number one <laughs> and it, it vanishes quickly. Did you see the sign on the library? No. I There's didn't a big that. poster on the library that says Tostitos Presents a Public Library. <laughs> Sponsored by, sponsored by, oh God, the website naming place. <laughs> GoDaddy, is that the GoDaddy, but GoDaddy. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So there's a, it's like a generic public library, but on the building is this huge poster that has the, the, the corporate sponsorship of the library. And I was like, wait a minute. I had to watch it four times because it goes so quickly at the beginning. You know, if you don't catch it, they're already inside. It's like a flash. <laughs> you have to be really good with the pause button to see that. But yes. that was the same moment. <laughs> I did a I did a real pause in the scene where I guess it's when when Michael is showing reboot 445 where he's disheveled. I was just loving how like Ted Danson like being made to look disheveled still has perfect hair 
it's, uh, it's awesome. But um, right. he has the most perfect messy hair when they make the most perfect messy hair. So perfect, right? <laughs> and so I was looking at the things that were on the what was page four thousand eight hundred one fifteen of the very long dossier that he has up on the screen about oh. Eleanor, which included in the maternity ward, her mom introduced baby Eleanor to the nurse as my little sister. <laughs> and, <laughs> I missed that. That's yeah, funny. well, you gotta you gotta stop and watch these things. You gotta there really was something about there was about her father missed her birthday, so he changed her birth certificate so he wouldn't be wrong. And then and then the, the little like callback thing. So there was one thing that says lifetime ban from post office. And we know Eleanor has this thing about postal. Yeah handsome postal workers and then and the other thing is it listed among her enemies princess jasmine which i think is a running thing they've got going about Kristen bell and and princess anna so they're they're always throwing in little frozen references, uh, references. this is a little extension of the disney universe i really love nice. that i'm always amazed that there's time for those details <laughs> <laughs> like i wish i had time like you know to before a meeting to put extra papers on my desk with funny jokes that the person <laughs> who's coming to the meeting might see and read. But I'm always still preparing for the meeting. Like you, would, I guess in television, there's time for that extra stuff. <laughs> well, I think there's a bit of a Jeremy Bermy going on, which is that the people who live probably in the properties department have like they probably have their own time they don't like what they do oh. probably they probably don't need the like detailed script they can be like oh we need some things to put on a screen about her life right. let's just do this right yeah right. <laughs> last night i went home and i made some stuff for the screen yeah <laughs> right i guess so and having the discussion about determinism and Michael says that he's different and he's going to swear on the Bible. And he says, they're in a library, he says, there is one in here. It's the only book I think left in the sex ed right. section. <laughs> right. And the only poetry book is right. A Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy. Yes. And then, and then when Eleanor goes to explain to him what determinism is, the book she's holding, which I assumed, you know, by its general cover was, uh, you know, philosophy for dummies is actually, I, I had to freeze frame that. It's actually philosophy for ding-dongs and morons. Yeah, <laughs> that one I noticed. <laughs> right, although had Michael written it, it would have been philosophy for dinguses. That's yeah, his word. <laughs> right, dingus, big good word. Right, right. You dingus. <laughs> That's always what he's saying. <laughs> And apparently in Arizona, apart from having corporate-sponsored libraries, everything is used after hours to shoot pornos. Yes. Well, I guess I say yes because I'm agreeing <laughs> with the show. I don't really know that. <laughs> I don't really know that. Right. That was the running joke of the episode. Right. The restaurant, too. Although that was the one extra. It was you know, the library. So I was like, okay, I guess I could believe that. That's a joke. And maybe that's really something. They rented yeah. it out. but. You would think the restaurant wouldn't close so early. They yeah. still have patrons. <laughs> but for the gag, they threw the joke in. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about, I didn't do it, but I wonder, is, is there like a people from Arizona protest of, oh. the, of the show? You know, Arizona doesn't come out so well. And I, I don't know. I don't think of Arizona as one of those states with a stereotype that, you know, the rest of America says, I was in Arizona and the same thing follows. But on this show, they're always after Arizona. <laughs> That's true. And I have to correct, I, I assume a, astute listeners will will have corrected this already, that, that they are in Nevada, in Tarantula Springs, Nevada, unless they've gone somewhere else, because I guess they're somewhere with a major airport that goes from Budapest, if they're going to meet the people 
I mean, that was where her mom, so that last episode ended up, they were at her mom's in, in Tarantula Springs. Tarantula seems to be a thing, too, because isn't doesn't she say that these, like, tarantula spiders or whatever things are going to be the mega demons behind the mega demons? Oh, yeah, like that's that. true. Yes. All right, tarantula that was squid, a good Tarantula moment. squid, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if, what if? <laughs> if this was the last episode of the season, that might be the whole next season. This is really... The good, the good or bad place for the demons. We <laughs> <Not the> demons. <laughs> were remarking as you were referring to before we pressed record about the the spare sets and the the sort of small cast, but they did go back to the neighborhood for for some stuff. The whole pet things, you know, which yeah. I guess they means they have this going there, and there's some great stuff there. Certainly, I love Chidi's dilemma about which pe- pets to pick because they they could be yeah. brother or sister or married, and he doesn't want, I guess, separate yeah. them. It was a good, I get all the cheaty, very clear dilemma episodes. My last one had the two hats and now yes. they're the two puppies. <laughs> Pup, this is harder. I think the puppy decision is harder than the, the decision about hats. Yes, well, because the hats couldn't be married or siblings. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but the puppies yes. might be. Yes. <laughs> I did notice, I mean, as I was watching and taking notes, I noticed two things about plot continuity, right? Because we sort of jumped into this, reboot 444 which you know we didn't see all the we don't get to see all the reboots so you don't really know but i noticed jason is still in his monk garb there were two scenes like one in public and one later i guess they were both in public but he was wearing his red robes for one but he was silent the whole time but when tahani walked away he did that oh he did that little thing about the penguin of mythical creatures and it struck me that Wait, he's still being silent around Tahani, but when they were talking about the pet, like the rest of the village was still there. So if they were in their naivete in this reboot 444 and they didn't know where they were, I think he shouldn't have spoken publicly about the penguins, the Chidi and Eleanor, because the rest of the people um, who we now know are demons, but he didn't know were demons, yeah. like, wouldn't have been able to see him speak. So, right, it wasn't Tahani. Had they been in like a room or someone's home, and Tahani left, that would have been okay. But it seemed to me that that was a, a continuity error. Ooh, interesting. We'll have to check the IMDB database there to see if yes. anybody has comment on that. Yeah, so then I also felt like it doesn't really matter. <laughs> the other <laughs> thing I saw, that I was also thinking, there's that whole scene with the, the lizard was climbing all over the top of Eleanor's head. I wonder how many takes did they do and were they better when the lizard s- sat still on her shoulder or was it better <laughs> when the, the lizard's on her head and how calm and collected she was while the lizard was climbing around? And then they shot to like a scene from behind and all of a sudden the lizard went back to her shoulder and went back. Ooh, to her. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a, it was a, I don't know who, it's usually like the prop master who does that. If it's a prop, I don't know who's in charge of that for a living, you know, for a, an animal oh, actor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, there are, you know, from the official podcast, we know that I think they did have a one conversation with the company that supplies animals to a lot of Hollywood uh, sets. And so there are people, I was thinking about this because, uh, you know, act people who can act against animals, I think, is that the term to act against something is is pretty cool. And I like uh, to act in support of animals. <laughs> <laughs> there's I we've been watching recently at home some old Saturday Night Live reruns and where they you know it's live TV and they so it's one take and they have right. do- dogs and there's some really funny things there's one with John Lithgow hearing confession from dogs and 
some of the who are being voiced over, except a couple of them bark in the middle and some right. run away. And and my favorite, I think, is in in the West Wing, where there is the scene of Alice and Janney, C.J. Craig, who has to deal with the which of two turkeys is going to be pardoned. Oh yeah. And 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 turkeys, they certainly not like pets that normally, you know, dogs and cats. Again, very appropriate, I think, for uh, pre Yom Kippur <laughs> taping that we're doing. With I'll just drop that reference into the notes there. We have a lizard at home, a, a rapidly growing bearded dragon. So I was oh. I was uh, intrigued by the behavior of the of this lizard. Couldn't identify its species. My my younger daughter is the one who has that. Yeah. Um, I do well, think then the, Michael uh, made it run away. So. Yes, yeah. They do run. They do like to run. And uh, I thought Tahania, the, the whatever it was, the Minotaur, the Centaur. Oh, yeah. The Centaur, the Tahani, <laughs> the Mirror Centaur. I'm not I a, thought that was well done. I'm not a glue factory hobo. <laughs> right. I like that all of her, I don't know if it was part of being the mirror, besides the mirror image, all of her comments were back at, you know, her person partner. Yeah, you know, they, they said, Tani, will you host, will you host the party tonight? And she said, of course. And the centaur says, but you're not wearing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't have those same comments for everybody else. <laughs> I know <laughs> it rises to kind of how much she's come because we've had less of that to honey in this part of the, in season three, oh, really. Yes. Especially the, yes, her Jeremy Baramy redirect. And so it's a nice, nice way they use the flashbacks to remind us of where they've come. On the other yeah. hand, with Jason, we have his scene, you know, at the, in the parking lot there talking about uh, first class and the, the gift of a, <laughs> of a free vest. <laughs> See, that goes back to your question before, like, who would I like to be? I want to put on one of those vests and feel what it's like to pull the cord. But, like, you know, usually, you know, traveling with family or for some purpose like for you know for work so that you're saying that can't those, just play around like i can't those just are the reasons there. i see if you right, weren't right. with family or representing as a rabbi you would right if i could go thing. undercut right if i could just be carefree like he is and take the free <laughs> toys and then yeah that was a good moment i do love his thinking that penguins are <laughs> are mythical yes. and then eleanor says they're real and he's like <laughs> they're real to me too yeah. And then he gets one. It was awesome. <laughs> so he's happy. He got a penguin. And Eleanor talked about being voted most likely to die young and unaccomplished. Like, hard to believe that I'm the one. You did yeah. die young. <laughs> yes. That was actually my, fa- I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was my biggest laugh of the episode. <laughs> So the episode is, you know, it's obviously pretty clear thematically what it is, free will, predetermination of life. And and truthfully, probably there's not a ton different between way, the way this gets presented in Jewish philosophy as in anything else. But we'll try to we'll try to talk about it anyway. And I have been thinking differently personally just about what the stakes are about this question as I've gotten both more and more interested in the psychology of someone like Daniel Kahneman who is gleefully revealing the ways in which even when we think we're deciding things we're not. But also so into Maimonides who has this, you know, probably most radical view of a free choice. So so I'm interested. I guess the other thing I wanted to say by means of that is that, so it's unlikely that for anybody listening, there are going to be any big reveals or that this is going to be the deepest conversation with the most references to things right. we haven't read. We're just going to introduce this topic and see where just the two of us find it interesting. Today. That's a good transition. I have to yeah. say after my children listened to our last time together on the podcast and 
two of my three children said, I listened up until the point where you started listening to the Jewish stuff. And then I just turned it off. <laughs> so with, with what you just said, there's not going to be any great reveal. So I'll just say, Michal Hadas, if you're listening, like this is when John says it's okay to turn it off and you can still say. Well, I was just going to say there are plenty of places you can, you know, and we'll try to link to them, you know, deep oh, yeah. dives into Jewish fun. This is, you know, the this podcast is to introduce things. and Yes. You may, you listening actually may already know a lot about this. So we'll see. Right, right. Yeah. I'm not trying to tell anyone they should go away now. And who knows? No. We haven't experienced the next 20 minutes either. It might yeah, be the yeah. best thing yet. We'll tell you at the end if we think it was. That's <laughs> right. And we have free will as to what things we're going to choose to talk about, which are, which are completely, as Michael would say, unpredictable, which we could not anticipate, except yeah. a little bit. So yeah. you want to, you want to start? You got something to start with? I was drawn to, I mean, I, I, I was also drawn to, Maimonides and his thinking about free will. And the, the biggest thing for me is the contrast between my thinking about this now and my thinking about this, I would say like when I was finishing rabbinical school and I was starting mm-hmm. teaching, uh, which is similar to what, what you said. But I think in my early years as a teacher where I was teaching a lot of theology, philosophy, Jewish philosophy, you know, to high school students, the, the Rambam's rationalism was really compelling to me. And his notion that Judaism is deeply rooted in a firm belief in free will, because if there weren't free will, Judaism doesn't make sense. And to me, that was a really compelling, like rationalist argument. And, and it was a compelling thing to put as a model to teenagers to think about, you know, this notion that we're responsible for our actions. And, and in fact, our religious tradition is built around that assumption. So, you know, that for me was a starting point, but there's similar to things that you mentioned, like the world has come in or the world of thought or philosophy has traveled a lot in these decades. And the notion that between environment, between DNA, between the way in which, you know, Google or Apple, you know, can manipulate us because they do, they can fund studies to know. <laughs> how to shape our technology so that we keep looking at it, or, you know, that says that I, I'm more skeptical about the purity of free will that Rambam talks about now than I was then. When then I like bought, I bought it. There's free will, Judaism's rooted in it, and that's the best thing ever. And look, there's such synergy between like philosophy and free will and Judaism. Awesome. Life is good. And it seems a lot <laughs> more complicated now. So anyway, that's my starting point. What, how's that sound to you? Yeah, you know, as you as you were laying that out, I was thinking that really neither Michael nor Eleanor takes the classic position about it. Eleanor takes the position that there are, all, as you say, exactly all these other influences, so there is no such thing as free will. And Michael makes several arguments, and they're kind of, you know, they're observational. He says, look, you're constantly doing things I didn't expect, so that's free will. And Eleanor says, well, you know, if you thought about it enough, maybe there's someone pulling the strings behind, right? He says, you know, I didn't mean for you to, to care for Chidi. And interestingly, she doesn't say, like, you made me fall for him. But she says, once you set up a situation where we were close together, like, that was going to happen. You might not have intended it, but it still doesn't mean I was free will. You put, you right. know, I think, which basically says you put hot young people together, stuff's going to happen, and that's not free will. <laughs> but Michael's position is not Maimonides' position, is that, I mean, he says, you know, I've seen free will, and that's, you know, you look like free will. And then he says, in a way, sort of much more of an existentialist position, which is that it really only makes sense to do what we're doing. And I'm, you know, if we believe in that, and I, I choose to do that. And, you know, 
big adol in the big scheme. Like it wouldn't make sense for us to try to save humanity. And then he says, you know, I guess bekatan in a small sense. Sorry, I'm using Hebrew words here. That that like I'm going to go to the airport, and there's that thing. Worst use of free will ever because I care about these people. I don't want them essentially to say I don't want them to wait around without a ride. That's like a backwards. That's like assuming that that's that that's valuable, and the only way that could be valuable is if you had the free will to to back that up. Yeah, I'm struck by that he labeled that the worst possible use of free will. Yeah, I was trying to figure out why that is. You know, there's a way in which it's the title to the episode, so we could talk about it in terms of the episode. But you usually there's a dig in the show when Michael's making fun of humans, like they're making fun of something that my guess is the writers or someone is also wants to make fun of, <laughs> not just for humor, but actually as some kind of social critique. But there's something nice about picking up people at the airport when you can, and I don't know. I think it's a good use. Of it. No, good yeah. Use I, in a way, well. I think he was sort of like almost taking on Eleanor there. Like what Dingus would want to, if they had this kind of power to make moral decisions, would use it to pick up at the uh. airport. But he says it with such sincerity. I almost feel like he was saying the opposite. I mean, there was something in the delivery of that line. Yeah. You know, where he wasn't saying this is the worst possible use and yet I'm going to do it. He's like... What yeah. more? What else could I do in this? Place? Right. Well, it might not be the deepest. Going to the airport to pick up my friends is not going to impact the universe like we're trying to do. But I'm going to go do it anyways because yeah. that's the nice touch. Plus, he's got to. They've got to go together to Canada. He doesn't go to the airport and pick them up. They, right. Then they switch. Go. Right. He. Yeah. They had to go to the airport to move the plot forward. It wasn't really about <laughs> free will. It was nice to mix in that his choice to dump iced tea on her head was, he said, I think it's the coolest thing I've ever done. And that was just not cool. And I like I that. Where good, the, good, yeah. the waitress has a, the best line with that. She's like, don't worry, it happens all the time here. Although it's usually the woman who's dumping, it's, <laughs> who's dumping the iced tea on the man. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing about Maimonides is that he is a moral psychologist as well as a philosopher. So if his philosophical position is it wouldn't make sense to have mitzvot, to have commandments, if you couldn't be judged on whether you choose to to do them or not. But his other thing is he has a section where he really takes Eleanor's argument. He says, yes, we all know that we have predilections for this or that. And he probably copies this, I think, straight out of Aristotle. And by the way, I'm not a scholar of any of these things. But in his commentary on Pirkei Avod, I think, the part that's Shmona Prakim, he has a, a an essay called Eight Chapters, Shmona Prakim. And he goes through this idea, he goes both at the, the free will question, the way you're saying it, and then also he says, there are people who find it easier to have moral character in this direction or, or that direction. And he says free will means recognizing that and then working to act either in concert with that or despite that or to change that and train yourself. And he has another section there where he asks, is it better to be someone who basically has a pure soul who's only ever inclined to do the right thing? Or is it better to be a person who has to work at overcoming their nature mm. and all their, their genes, their environment, their peers? And is that person more praiseworthy because they've kind of done, they're, they're actively doing the work? And I've read that a few times, and I'm not quite sure he makes a conclusion on that. I think what he says is like his philosopher head is like, no, it would be better to be the pure person. But uh, but I think he's got too many Jewish sources that are like, no, you do this work and you're good. And in that sense, he's he's sort of like a cheaty and he's sort of like a, an Eleanor and a Michael, you know, in saying that uh, the point of free will is to is actually to 
to work at times counter to the things that are all of your influences. Yeah. But to use your intellect for him or your moral compass to overcome the limita- your limitations to, to be on the right path. So it's kind of nice, and I think yeah. it's not it's not certainly said maybe explicitly this way, certainly not in, in Maimonides, but Michael's position is that I'm motivated by caring. I want to do nice for these people. I want life to be better for humans generally. So I'm going to motivate myself to act as though I have free will or to use my free will out of caring. And that's a lovely way to go at that question. And, yes. Uh, yeah. A teaser for the next episode, it shows how that also, that has its failures too. <laughs> if you always act in what you think is going to be the best possible thing to make the most people happy or to be nice to other people. It yeah, doesn't work yeah. out so well. I guess you have but, to choose a principle right. for that. Yeah. I don't know if you feel this way. I feel like maybe some of the juice in this episode for me was taken away in the sense that I feel like the, the free will, like you were saying, when you're teaching high school, this is a big it's a great issue to talk about. And I do feel like, I don't know if it's just the fact that I'm a grown up or or what it is that I feel like I, I spend less time worrying about this. This seems like a big ethical question, but I can't tell anymore whether it is. And I think what I liked about the iced tea moment is like, there there is a sense in which arguing about this is like, let me, let me, yeah. you know, dump <laughs> stuff like that's the, that's the level at which, at which it matters, you know. Right. Well, you can make that, the decision to do something spontaneous just means right everything's not predetermined but doesn't necessarily mean we don't have our tendencies and patterns yeah, yeah. and i guess what i oh yeah go on i was just thinking as i was thinking about this i agree with you that there was well i would just say this isn't my favorite episode of the show there's some fun moments but i didn't feel like it was the funnest episode Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was the deepest episode, even though, the, you know, I don't think it was bad, but I think like it doesn't make my favorites list. And I've been thinking about like, why is this frame not as exciting or where might we use this frame? The thing that came to me, I think it's because it's in the news, but also it's being debated in some social media places that I'm at about thinking about how this free will question comes up on the elimination of college debt issue. Mm. Some of the argument people make is about free will. People of their own free will entered into a contract with a bank or the government or a university to attend and to pay certain amounts and to finance other amounts. And that agreement has meaning and we should hold them to it. Hmm. And then other, and other people say, you know, there's a dip. I mean, there are lots of arguments to this, but other people say the fact that the terms of being able to to get these loans. And, you know, we're setting people up, we're putting, you know, we're putting a stumbling block before the blind by letting them, letting them take on loans that they won't be able to pay back. And we're mm-hmm. enticing them with certain attractive things. And I wonder just the juxtaposition of reading about this in the newspaper over the last couple of weeks, and then also watching the show made me think like, what part of that is a free will issue? That's not about, there's an ethical piece, but about public policy. When do we hold people to their commitments when do we not Mm. Um, you know i thought about that also one of the colleges where one of my kids attended who sent us the sheet that said here's the tuition here's the aid you got here's the loans you could get so the net cost to you is zero i was like well that's very manipulative because (laughs) the net cost to me is not zero because i have to pay back all those loans (laughs) yeah yeah and it seemed like disingenuous that they wrote at the bottom the net cost to you is zero as opposed to here's your cost and here's how you're going to finance it (laughs) Anyways, 
maybe I've taken us too far, but those questions have come up with me for me as I've been thinking about the free will piece on this episode. I don't well, see a direct line, but I, I, yeah. I made that connection. Well, again, on Michael's screen during the disheveled reboot for 45, <laughs> one of the things that happened in Eleanor's life, said, I think it was in Eleanor's life, it says that her dad spent something like a, a whole day in some loud protest at the financial aid office at Arizona State University. <laughs> I have to go back and catch if I wrote that exactly gotcha. right. Well, see, maybe that. subliminally I saw that one line and it made me think about college financing and free will. I think that you did, yeah. <laughs> what I remembered about the episode before I then rewatched it this time was that Michael, I thought, was going to say, no matter what happened, I couldn't keep you and Chidi apart. And I feel like that's what he said before to Janet about what's the key to the rediscovery by the humans initially of all the reboots of why it's why it's a sham happens when when Eleanor, by her initiative, usually seems to find her way to Chidi. And there's something about that yeah. that match. And here this is presented as the love, but but when when Michael is accounting for for a free will to Eleanor, he really doesn't focus it so much. He doesn't name their relationship as a relationship. He names it as something you did. You know, you have you found your way this way, or you made these choices, or you surprised me by figuring out the answer to this. And and there's with a little less of an emphasis, or at least of, of calling it out as the the relationship itself. How I had remembered it was saying two people are destined to be together. Did they really choose to be together? And, uh, and of course, he has that whole thing where he talks about soulmates being something he made up and is ridiculous. But here, in a way, he's making the case that she chooses him over and over again, in some yeah. sense. But that that's proof that she's choosing because he didn't have that. That's not what he wanted. That wouldn't have right. that Although what's interesting is in the afterlife, which I think is the longest of the afterlifes, after all the reboots, like the afterlife where they're not in the good place anymore, they don't fall in love in that one until much later and only as a product of Chidi getting his memories back, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, meaning, and in a sense, in the timeline we're in now, down on Earth, too. So she looks at him, and right. she now has this awareness that he doesn't have. She knows herself as a person who could choose to fall in love. I don't know if I, I don't know if choose to fall in love with him. It's maybe that's probably not. Right. That's not well, that's why true I think, life there. But, right. but, anyway, but she sees herself as a person who... Uh, you know, actually, that's the that's the other thing too. Like the, this whole thing got unleashed by her saying, "I never had this capacity for for attachment," and he says, "No, you did." And in a way, that's more important than free will. It gets labeled as an episode about free will, but it really it's about can a person overcome the obstacles to their being attached to people. And is free will like the most important dimension of that, or classic free will? It somehow doesn't quite match. I right. Would, yeah. Well, I think you're right. What's important to Eleanor is her overcoming her life challenge. She has difficulty attaching to people because of her upbringing. So she's trying to overcome her growing up. And she's able to do that in her relationship with Chidi. And she doesn't believe it because she doesn't remember it until Michael shows it to her. That seems to be the more important chuva. It's not about free will, but it's about overcoming your environment to be better. Well, there's also a, a dimension where there's things that happen that maybe aren't in the control of, of your own personal choice, but that maybe become available. So she who hasn't experienced or doesn't have access to her memories of the reboot, she gets this thing on and and she sees that this person who was her, or some version of her, 
did A, B, and C. And now from this moment on, she has free choice vis-a-vis cheating. Now she has decisions that are available to her that she didn't experience as choices she was making in the reboots that she's experiencing. But now it's a choice. And then and then maybe that's where the tie-in at the end, where she says, you know, now that we know this, we are free because we're no longer subject to the influences that we're, that we're trying to get rewards from. That's what she says at the end. So now we're the most free beings ever. And from this point on, we that doesn't mean that we haven't been doing tshuva the way we, we would say it up to here. Right. But now we're in a position to do it in a different way out of our free will. Right. Well, that's one of the things I love about the show that some of this is about like what your frame of reference is or what's your plausibility structure. Because right at the, the whole first season, we have certain assumptions about how the good place works. And then once we get to the end of that season, all of a sudden, like the curtain comes up and there's whole different rules. Everything's different because you have different awareness and different, not, you know, your, your knowledge of the universe and how it works or your frame of reference or your plausibility structure. Hmm your belief system shapes how you act. And our characters who have found a way to care that this existence is broken, choose to act to try to fix it because they want to, or the stakes are high. You know, they feel like it's important. Or they've chosen to do this as opposed to say, oh, who cares? <laughs> oh, who cares? Let's just go, let them send us to the bad place and it'll be over. Like, yeah. <laughs> But it's sort of like small, small choice and big choice. Like they all chose to follow Gordon Indigo and Zach Pizzazz and all of that. Like they, they made choices to go to Australia and then, you know, out of, out of a partial choice and self-knowledge or just decision that they need to do at the moment. And then they learn more things which sort of expand the realm where they yeah. can make decisions. And in a way, like the biggest reference to this too, other than the Eleanor is about be bold now because we're so free is to Hani's, you know, noticing that she she's chosen to marry Jason, which is ridiculous and <laughs> is purely made out of a sort of uh, as a means to to an end and uh, it's really a choice. So I guess when I'm revising, you know, I'm constantly going back to this beginning of chapter two of Maimonides text where he really he really defines tshuva as only making decisions, you know, free will decisions and not out of other forces acting in you. But I'm revising my view to say that there's a, which I'm now repeating probably for the fourth time in this conversation, that there's kind of a, a ramp up where you might, or where you have sort of incomplete awareness of, of your growth and then maybe you achieve a point where there's a tipping point where it's more under your control. Yeah. Well, that's also the, in moral development theories, there are different stages of decision-making that Mm -hmm. as you move through the life cycle and your perspective changes, changes how you make decisions. Agreeing with you that this is not the most ingenious or innovative philosophical episode, but the part that could have been or sort of hinted at that was after they chose their pets, they were going to be their pets or they were going to turn into... Yes, we got to experience being their pets for a little bit. Yeah, which I guess gets at maybe maybe that was a little philosophical cul-de-sac they thought about running into where we're thinking about like... You know, human nature being the choice nature and animal nature being just the the product of influences and instincts. I am probably making too much out of that. Right. I actually wondered for a minute if like all those, if those things where they picked the pet was were actually scenes that got cut from a different episode, but they're like, how can we use them? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I watched it a couple of times to see like, you know, are there specific things in, in Reboot 444 that says, it had to be written for this episode or somebody feels like this episode, everyone was on vacation and just (laughs) (laughs) 
We only have Eleanor and Michael, so we're going to put them in a library, and they're going to talk about free will, and then we'll just use footage. <laughs> but then I'm like, no, maybe these 444 reboots, they had to actually film. It wasn't just an episode that never made. <laughs> well, the, 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 pink, the pink bubble in, you know, in the reboot, he, he accidentally pulled up, you know, where he is, you know, and paint like that. They, some effort was expended and probably money to, to film that. Yeah, so though my guess is the pink bubble was just you know computer generated. That's true. <laughs> it looked but, yeah, pretty cool, that. but that might have been the least expensive thing. There's just some guy in the tech office and knew how to program that. <laughs> if it were an actual manifestation of that bubble with Chidi really in it, then that would be more costly. The other thing I guess about you're saying Eleanor uh, getting reacquainted with her memories is, I think there is this question of if free will means like free in this moment and absolutely free how do we relate to our our memories our prior experiences and our influences some are she's Eleanor's talking about external influences and puppet masters and her awful parents but but our own experiences inside us are something too and in a sense we know that they have shaped her because she is where she is now in Nevada. Right. But at the same time, she wants to know about them. Is it better in terms of being that free person going forward to know all that stuff about the past, including the times when she was an idiot right. and an awful person? Right. Well, she takes those moments to heart. Whereas when Chidi first gets his memories back, he's like, well, these aren't, that wasn't me. Hmm. I'm this Chidi. Those are alternate universe Chidi's that are not me. And he at first rejects that the sum total of Chidi <laughs> is all the pieces that's actually the third season that was a piece that was hard for me in watching the season because we know the characters have had many existences and many reboots and they're also on earth here so like it's a weird part of the timeline and sometimes it was hard maybe i'm overthinking a bit but who is this character at this point in the story is harder because it's not totally linear because they reboot and some things happened in a reboot that then went away and it's you know, season one and two have more continuity and season four, I think, is also an easier timeline in terms of watching the characters in this development. And there was something disjointed about season three for me. Yes, so it's all it's all Jeremy Barry, and I, I had that same problem. And and I think in terms of free will, it sort of stands as an unresolved issue, certainly in the show, as to whether having a timeline and being aware of it is is something you have to have. And I, after my Jeremy Barraby discussion, I am more opening myself up to that being a, an open question, both in terms of moral psychology and the philosophy of free will. So I'm, right. I'm trying to live with that, with that ambiguity right. at the moment. And we who are in the world of just one timeline, we don't have the Jeremy Barrabys. <laughs> we think, you know, although uh, that was a question we, we talked about in the previous episode of whether that's actually true about us. I mean, we don't experience our own memories. We can't retrieve our own memories, you know, right. all the time, you know, accurately or, or even all of them. And so maybe in that sense, the idea of Eleanor having this a companion with the special wireless earbuds <laughs> is a thing we don't get. And uh, right. we really are in that position. Right. Well, that's interesting. There's also the piece of like, even with our memories, they're not perfect. We know our memories change. We shape our own memories over time. Yeah. Yeah. So somehow she watches these memories. Right. It's almost, there's a piece of this where it's like data on Star Trek, who, if there were reboots or different things, as a computer holds all these memories and can, or Janet on this show, Janet holds all, 
has the perfect memory. But then, you know, the characters, like, they can remember all the reboot, right? Chidi or Eleanor gets her memories back, but then that's not really the human condition because our brains aren't, you know, besides, you know, <laughs> there, her teeth fall out and she goes bald, but for a moment. And then somehow 20 minutes later, she's better. Her yeah. teeth grow back. <laughs> I have a lot of medical questions about how that one happens, but it's not even about, like experiencing your memories is physically challenging. That's not really how memory works either. In that we're constantly rewriting our stories to fit, I don't know, all kinds of things. That's beyond my, you know, we need some psychologists to win on that. Yeah, and I'm also experiencing this right now because I'm recording episodes and editing them in a mishmash out of order. And I mean, the listeners know that some of the episodes have been dropped out of order, but there are even, you know, more coming that we've been putting together. They'll come out in order, but I'm experiencing them out of order. And it's interesting for me to try to map exactly what we're talking about. I'm, I'm yeah. as I say, trying oh, it's to... It's like uh, the Jeremy Barmy of the, of the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And oh. it's helping me actually think about that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think we have done a good job at least sort of mapping out some of the the field around free will and, and some of the key classic Jewish areas that touch on this. So Elliot, great to talk to you. It was great to connect over another episode. I'm waiting for the next season five to come out so we could then we'll be able to do a lot more. Well, we could write a season five, but in the meantime, we can record a something in the end of season three or, I know. or in season so, that's four. That's true. Yeah. We could do that. That's fine. <laughs> that's, that's a very like, well, maybe that's an upper elementary, late middle school thing. Like we'll write a play. That'll be the next <laughs> season. And you know, we'll cast all our friends in it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. It was a different experience. All right. All right. Talk to you soon, Elliot. Take care. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Tove. Subscribe, rate, share, connect with us on social media at Tove Good Place, and be in touch by email, tove at tovegoodplace.com. We've got show notes and links for the episode and general things like a lexicon of Jewish terms we use at our website, tovegoodplace.com. Elliot Goldberg's on Twitter, at Elliot underscore Goldberg, with two L's in Elliot. And I'm John Spirasavet, at RabbiJS3 and RabbiJohn.net. We hope we've given you something interesting and useful in our conversation today. And to adapt what Mark Evan Jackson says at the end of the official NBC Good Place podcast, now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum. 